just in preparation for this morning, I was called back to remember my yesteryears. Many, 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 many years ago. And when I was in high school and college, I used to go to the gym and actually did exercising and all that. Some of you guys remember back in those days. But about 10 years ago, my, and, but life happened. You know, I got married, life happened, had kids, work. I worked a full-time job and a part-time job. I went to school, and life just got so busy. So about 10 years ago, my wife leans into me, and she gives me a hug, and she pauses, and as graciously as she can, she says, Michael, I think you're getting frail. Well, I tell you what, you cannot say that graciously no matter how hard you try. But she tried. Michael, I think you're getting frail. So I tell you what, I made a plan and I said, you know, I'm heading to the Y. Now, here's something that I have noticed that I personally think is rather humorous. When you go to a gym or something and you see how the, the guys, and I don't know about you ladies, but the guys and how they compare themselves to one another. You can always tell the young guys, even the old guys, though they dye their hair, you can still tell the young guys because they're the ones with the, uh, with the tank tops it's kind of like one piece of thread that goes over their body, and it hangs so loosely, you kind of wonder, why are you even wearing a shirt? But here's what I've noticed. The young guys, they'll walk up to the free weights, you know, the dumbbells, and they'll pick them up. And then another young guy will pick up the weights to his right. You know what I mean? To the right, that's where all the heavier weights are, right? And so he picks up those heavier weights, okay? And the, the young guy... The young guy quickly offers up a prayer and in his prayer, he's just wondering, boy, Lord, I hope his muscles don't show too much because they're starting to feel intimidated. And with, with us older guys, when we walk up and we pick up those dumbbells, we say, oh, God, please don't let my gut show too much. All right, and so you can tell the old guys from the young guys, and the old guys, they don't care if they take the weights from the right or from the left, but the, other, the, the younger guys, as they're standing there, you know, and it's also amazing that many of these young guys, they don't understand the purpose of, of a mirror that's in front of them, and they'll pick up the weights and they'll start doing this, you know, all right, and, and they don't understand the purpose of the mirror. Us older guys, we understand that because these weights are so heavy, and we're trying, you know, am I doing this right? And that's the purpose of the mirror. Now, the young guys, they come up to the weights, and of course, the other young guy comes up to his right, and he starts picking up the weights, and his prayer is, or his thought is, yeah, right, you can lift that, okay? Now, us older guys, we walk up to the weights, and we pick them up, and we start thinking to ourselves, yeah, right, I can lift this, and it, I, I just find it kind of curious. Now, Ladies, you're not exempt from this at parties. Here's how you can tell the difference between guys and girls. The guy, when he sees another guy with the same exact shirt that he's wearing, he, he walks up to him and he says, dude, that shirt looks awesome. But what he's really thinking is, I made a really good choice. Okay? Oh, girls, they walk up to a, a young lady who's wearing the same exact kind of dress, and they say, oh, Janice, that dress looks gorgeous. Now, what they really mean is, girl, how dare you? And hold, who told you that your size 8 could fit into that size 4? You know? 
And, and so there is this comparison, and we call this being catty. But the truth is, we, we start thinking these comparison thoughts, and we start envying, okay? And God wants to set us free from this type of comparing and this type of envying. And I'm sure that David worked through a lot of this himself. We read about it in this psalm, Psalm 37. And the challenge to us over the last two weeks, and this week being the third week, is let's avoid these comparisons. Let, us, let God not lead us into these paths of envying. So you're in Psalm 37. We, we've, we discovered that God wants to give us an understanding of temporal things in light of eternity. And the truth is, many of these things that we envy in other people, they're so small, they're so futile, and, and, and at the end of the age, they're going to be all gone. And, and, and I think I shared this with you, but there's the picture of this guy walking up to a, a funeral site, and he walks up to the guy, to another who's... who's gotten there early and the pastor is going through their sighting psalm 23 and the guy tur- leans over and he says so how much do you think he left and the guy turns to him and he says i think he left everything and that's the truth you're going to leave it all behind and and yet many people even christians spend their entire life with this concept of keeping up with the joneses we need to have an eternal mindset The second thing we looked at is delighting ourselves in the Lord. Instead of focusing on other people and what they have and what we don't, we discover that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he begins to set us free from these raging desires of envy and, and, wow, I wish I could have that. And, man, that looks good on you. I wish I had that. And I'm sure I would would look really good in that red Corvette. And, God, if you would just. And and these are the desires that begin to stir in us, and God wants us to delight in him. And then last week, Father's Day, we looked at our need to focus on our family inheritance because men, instead of focusing on others and their families and what's going on there and what they've got and what we don't, that God wants us to focus on our family inheritance because the truth is that is what we pass on. The godly character that God develops in us, that's what gets transmitted to our family. And as dads, we, 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 we live lives in a way that God would not just bless us, but God's heart is that he would bless our children. So we looked at several things, and we looked at, at the, a metaphor just as far as keeping house. And what would that look like, closing the door, keeping the AC running and such? Today, I want us to look, again, at Psalm 37, but I want us to look at God's two answers to envy and God's two antidotes to envy. God's two answers and God's two antidotes to envy. So you're there with me in Psalm 37. Verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. God, one of God's answers when we are striving with this envy and comparing, seeing what they have that we don't, one of God's answers is no. And, and for very good reason, I want us to investigate, but it might be no to more wealth or 
a bigger house or a nicer car or a greater, you know, greater fame and, and popularity. And, and especially the younger guys and were looking for these types of things to build our ego. And, and God is just saying, you know what? They may have that, but that is not my heart for you. And God is willing to say no. Now, for my Father's Day, my wife got me a card, and I thought maybe I would read it to you. And it contains the word no. Actually, as you can see it, the word no is on the back, and there are, it, shines, it shows through on the front. So no on both cards. Now, that's important as, you, as I read this to you. Because the first page is entitled, For My Husband. Being a great dad means knowing when to say no. Can I have cotton candy for breakfast? No. Can I have an iguana? No. Can I have $100? No. Can I get my chin pierced? No. Can I go to an all-night party? No. So you turn the page and it says, it's a lot like being a great husband. Do you mind sharing your dessert? No. Do I look fat? No. Do you think that model's pretty? No. Do you think I have enough shoes? No. Will you ever stop loving me? No. And then it says here, happy Father's Day to the guy who always knows just what to say. <laughs> and God is, he, he doesn't hesitate to say no when he needs to. But he has good reason. <laughs> in one of Jesus' parables in Luke, there is a, a, a young man, and he's about to receive an inheritance, but he feels that his brother is doing it as injustice and not giving him enough of the inheritance. Now, we don't understand all the details because Jesus doesn't even ask. He says, who made me a judge between the two of you? Because he knew what was in this young man's heart and what was in his heart was greed. And so he, he says this, and it's kind of the sum of the entire parable. And he says, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Because when you die, you can't take any of it with you, right? And it's easy for us to get caught up in all of this. Hey, 70 years, let's, we might as well make the best of it, right? Well, my question then becomes, what is the best? Solomon, you remember Solomon. Here he is in 1 Kings chapter 3. He has just inherited the throne from his father, David. And he is having a dream. And in this dream, God appears to him. And asks him what he would like. Now, David could say, give me, make me the most wealthy king. Give me uh, lots of land. Uh, give me a long life. I mean, his list could have been endless. And this is what he, he asked. God, give me wisdom. I'm young. And I realize, maybe because of how wise he, he believed his dad to be, I, I'm not like my dad. I, I want the wisdom that my dad had. But he doesn't ask for all of those frivolous things that he can't take with him when he goes to heaven anyway, so he asks wisdom. Because I'm young, and I'm inexperienced, and I'm about to step into these huge shoes that I am now being asked to fill, and, and, I, and I need your help. And so God says, that was an awesome answer, Solomon, but I'm not just going to give you wisdom so that you will end up being the wisest man who ever lived, but I am going to also add wealth and long life 
to what you've asked for. I'm going to bless you with this. And as you continue to read on, he starts out his reign on target, and he's building the temple. And it takes him several years to build the temple, but then he begins to build his palace. And it takes so much longer to build the palace, and you're wondering, wow, that would have been nice if you spent that much time on the temple. But nevertheless, kudos to Solomon but it doesn't stop there, and you see, you read on that his wealth increases. He increases the number of wives, 700 wives. Obviously, he doesn't fall in love with all of them. I mean, 700 wives, can you imagine how frequently you had a wedding? Uh, gonna marry, maybe he had to marry 10 to 20 of them at one time. I don't know, but the truth is it says that his heart was led astray because these were political alliances. They were politically expedient for Solomon and his kingdom. Now, pragmatically, it really did help him. But unfortunately, Solomon, at this time in his life, chose to live his life pragmatically rather than based on principle. Solomon wrote a number of of Proverbs. I don't know if he wrote these before he fell away from the Lord or after. But those are wise sayings. It's almost as if during this time, Solomon went brain dead. And he, he strayed from the Lord, and he got mixed up in all kinds of things. And at the end of his life, he regretted it. And we read about that regret in the book of Ecclesiastes. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he's called the preacher. And he gets up on his soapbox and he starts preaching. And he is, he's challenging the people, you know, don't pursue wealth. Because guess what? At the, when it's all said and done, many times all of that money you spent your whole life accruing, it goes to somebody else who's not even an heir. And he begins to say there is so much vanity, so much uh, worthless acts and and strivings and, and all of this in life. What is it for? This is meaningless. And he concludes the the book in the 12th chapter by saying, let's just get this one thing right. Pursue God. And we realize that. He, he went through life being led astray. And all of those things that he wanted, he had the power to get, but they ruined him. And he came to that realization at the end of his life, what a waste. And I want to lay that before you because many times these desires in our heart, we can masquerade them and we can make them look really, really good. But God is saying, no. In verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Solomon didn't do that. Solomon didn't trust God with all of the wealth that God gave him. He made political alliances. He he bought things. He built this absolutely huge palace. And he poured his life into the pursuit of of knowledge and wealth and fame. And and yes, he, he acquired all of these things, but to what end? 
They destroyed him. And I want to lay before you, do you really believe that your heavenly father knows best? Can you, maybe as you are desiring certain things, and maybe you don't know whether they're good or bad, they, they, from your perspective, maybe you believe they're neutral, but God, I would really like this. And we're pressing in and we want these things and God is telling us no. And you're struggling with God. And you're striving after these things in life. And God is telling you no. And my question this morning, David's question is, can you trust him? Because his challenge is trust the Lord. Now get your eyes off of all of that stuff stuff that you are desiring, and he says, now do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. I want to tell you, your Father in heaven is a really good daddy. He truly has your best at heart. He truly does. And if he is saying no to you right now, in your life, to those desires, can you just trust him? And can you lay down that thing that you are striving for? And, and maybe it, it, it just encompasses and consumes your prayer time. Maybe throughout the day when you're kind of doing mindless work, and, and some of us in our day, we kind of do some of the mindless work, and, and our mind strays when we're doing that. What does it stray onto? What kind of things and desires does it stray onto? And if God is saying no to those desires, how are you dealing with that? Can you trust him? And can you focus on what he truly wants you to be focused on? In verse 7, he gives us another answer. But this answer is yes, but not now. Not yet. And as moms and dads, how many times we've had to say that to either no or I want to do this, but just not right now. And in verse 7, the challenge is this. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. You know, my my kids, many times, as they're sitting down to dinner, they're halfway through the dinner, and, and I, I guess they just get tired of the, what they're eating at the time. And it's dessert time. They've not eaten their whole meal. It's dessert time. Daddy, Mommy, can I have dessert right now? And you say, no, or yes, but not yet, finish your dinner first. And so they start fussing. Now, we always, when that happens, and they're begging and they're fussing, we always said, be patient. And then we would ask, him, ask them, what is patience? And their appropriate response was, waiting without fussing. Okay, but I see you fussing. Be patient. <laughs> so then they many times would respond, okay, so can I have dessert now? With a smile, followed by the word, please, as if by not fussing, now we're going to give it to them. No, you heard what I said. Finish the meal first. 
But God many times will, will treat us this way graciously. Yes, but not now. Yes, but not now. Church, I want to challenge us. Let's wait without fussing. Now, why might God have us wait? God's desire may be to give something to us just not now. Why would he do that? I'm sure there are many reasons. I'm just going to focus briefly on two of them. Number one, he might just be preparing you for when he gives that to you. It's just that right now you're, you're not ready. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Israel, when they were in Egypt, at, they eventually became slaves. In the beginning of the 400 years while they were there, everything was going good. Joseph was alive. They were being blessed. Joseph eventually died. And along came a king, a pharaoh, who began to enslave them. We don't know how long into the 400 years, but probably not too long. And he enslaved the Israelites. And the Israelites began to cry out to God, would you deliver us? Would you send us a deliverer who can rescue us? Now, God was in the process of preparing a deliverer. God was also in the process of preparing the people. And it says this, and, and it, it's just an amazing truth. It says, and their prayers reached heaven. It's almost as if God was saying, I, I need you to not just pray, but I need you to cry out to me. I need you to, to cry out to me with an intensity. Being delivered from this oppression was a good thing. And the Israelites knew this. But can you imagine after many, many years of praying that prayer over and over and over, and God was saying, be patient. That means waiting without fussing. Be patient. God was still wanting to create something in them. God is wanting to stir up something in your heart. And that is this, that there is just this longing for him to be able to come to your rescue. But he is looking for that heart of desperation. He is looking for you to push, pray until something happens. That you would push and press in until God, as, as, excuse me, as Exodus says, their prayers reached heaven and God says to Moses at the time, moment of the burning bush, their prayers have reached me. Now, it's not as if God suddenly, you know, he finally put his hearing aid in and he could hear his people praying. It's not as if uh, they prayed, but their prayers only reached so high. And then they prayed a little bit more and then their prayers reached a little bit higher. And then they prayed a little bit more and their prayers reached a little higher. I mean, honestly, that sounds a little hokey to me. It's, it's not what's happening here. What's happening is this intensity in their prayer and this longing. And as we move now throughout the, the, the Bible into the Gospels, we see a a word that's applied to this type of prayer, and it's called faith. And so the question then is when God is saying no or yes, but not now, do you have faith? Because maybe what you're longing for and desiring is a good thing. And so the psalmist here says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, if you were to Slide over to Psalm 73. 
we see an interesting revelation. Now, this psalm is not written by David. It's written by one of his most esteemed worship leaders, and his name is Asaph. And Asaph wrestled with some of the very same things that King David did. And we see in Psalm 73, verse 2, it says, but for me, again, this is Asaph, he's a worship leader, but for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he remarks, he says in verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong they're free from the burdens of co- that are common to men, and they are not plagued by human ills. Now, can I ask you, is that a truly accurate picture of what's going on with the wicked? No, it's, it's not. But I don't know about you, when you, when you look around and you're focused on what you don't have and what others have, you begin to, wow, why is everything going so well for these people? God, why is it that it seems that even though I am serving you more than them, right? You're blessing them more than me. I mean, this is a little bit backwards here. God, why is it that you're doing this? It doesn't seem like the wicked have any sicknesses. They have complete prosperity, never getting ill. And he said, I almost fell. I almost fell into that pit of despair that says, God, where are you? Why are you prospering the wicked? And he struggles with this. But what kept him from falling into that pit of despair? He tells us, as we now move over to verse 16, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Can you feel the weight of his testimony there? As you have contemplated How it seems God seems to to be blessing others and God, where is that blessing for me? There are times in which that overwhelms us and it feels oppressive and that's where he is. when, When I was so oppressed by this, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Listen now, verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final end. And I'm sure that God revealed in that stillness before God. Isn't that what Psalm 37 says? In his sanctuary, just still before God, God gave him a revelation of his truth. Maybe David had already penned Psalm 37. And Asaph, being a Levite, now goes to the temple because they were the ones permitted in the temple. Maybe he's meditating on this very psalm that David wrote. We don't know. But he's hit with truth. And this truth is revealed to him as he is still before God. And I'm going to just encourage you, my friends, if this is what you're wrestling with, There is an answer to this when God says yes, but not now. And that is, be still before God. Quiet your heart before him. Sometimes those emotions 
drag us through the mud. They're hard. Have you ever seen in the movies where the guy gets knocked off the horse, but one foot is left in the, the, what do you call that, the stirrup, thank you, and he's being dragged along, and we can feel that's our emotions, taking off like that wild horse. And someone slapped him in the backside, and he just takes off, and we feel like we're being dragged through the streets. And that's how David and now Asaph is feeling, that it's just oppressive. And God is saying, be still before me. Maybe some of you this morning, you need to say, be still, oh my soul. Be still, oh my soul. In that quiet moment before God, let him speak truth into your heart. Be still and wait patiently before him. You know what? God just may be preparing you and or he may be preparing your circumstances. That's beyond you. You know, one of the reasons why God waited and kept the Israelites in Egypt, number one, he needed to see them grow from 70 into a mighty nation. He had to prepare a deliverer who at age 40 thought he was ready, but he wasn't until he was, and and though he thought he was ready, and then finally at age 80, when Moses felt like he wasn't ready, God said, now you're ready. That's just the way God thinks sometimes. It's so contrary to way, the way we think. But God had to prepare them a, a leader, a deliverer. God also had to prepare the land that they were about to inherit. Because when God was having a conversation with Abraham, he was actually telling, look, You know, Abraham, for the next 400 years, your people are going to be going to Egypt and you're actually going to be slaves. And this is why he says, because the sins of the Amorites have not reached their full. This land, it's not ready. It would be wrong for me to bring the type of judgment that I need to bring. The land is not ready, but it will be. And there were many circumstances surrounding the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt, which on the surface is ab- it's a horrible thing. I'm sure many of them died, but God had to say, yes, but not now. Until Moses was 80 and the time was right. I can remember myself, I, I wanted to go to seminary right after college. And God said, yes, but not now. And he had me wait for three years. And during those three years, they were, they were hard years. I had just gotten married, learning to be a, a good husband, struggling, lots of failure, lots of long talks with my wife, trying to understand how women think and how this particular woman thought and how I just so many times thought the exact opposite way. And so I was already in that life seminary, learning how to be a husband learning then how to be a dad. And God was also preparing our finances, and he blessed me with a job where we could, we could save quite a bit of money because he knew that we needed to have more in savings when I went to seminary. So my wife would not end up getting her Ph.D. You know what a Ph.D. is, right? Put hubbies through. Um, we, that's not our, that was not our heart for her. And so 
God needed, I needed those three years before seminary. And it was hard. But God had a purpose. The next thing that we see is that God, he not only gives two possible answers, but he gives two antidotes here in Psalm 37 for us. Let me read the first one. The first one is found in verse, almost lost that, verse 8. So let's turn back to Psalm 37, verse 8. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. Now you remember two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago when we looked at this word fret. Fret does not necessarily mean worry or being anxious. It means being agitated. It might be being anxious, but it has this connotation of being agitated and, and frustrated. Um, and that's why he emphasizes refrain from what church? Anger. Refrain from anger. Don't fret. Turn from wrath. Why? What, what, what type of anger have you yourself, let's ask that question. What type of anger have you faced when you see your eyes on the stuff that people have and the things and the opportunities that God has blessed them and they're not even following him and what he has not given you? What anger is stirred up in you? Number one, it could be the very fact that the person who's being blessed is your, let's use this as an example, your boss. And your boss uses his position, and in your mind you're thinking, this man is absolutely unqualified to be my leader. Absolutely unqualified to be my leader. I could be a a leader ten times better than, than him. Have you ever thought something along those lines? And yet God has blessed him with this position, And you are angry at this guy because he is oppressive to you. Now, we actually read an example in this psalm, verses 32 and 33, in which he says, (coughs) David says, the wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very life. These are the wicked that David says he's envying. They obviously have some power over him, but he says in verse 34, he says, Uh, excuse me, 33, but the Lord will not leave them, the righteous, that is, in their power or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Some of you, you're struggling with maybe a boss or someone who is taking advantage of their position or their power, their influence, uh, their gifting, their intellectual abilities, and they dominate. Many of you grew up with a, a, one of your parents who was just oppressive uh, in how they tried to raise you, and they were domineering, and they belittled you. And maybe you, you, you look back and you say, God, why would you allow all of that? And, and there is an anger that God is wanting to deal, in you, deal with you in your heart and set you free from that. You may be angry towards them. God gave them certain things that you would like to have, but you see how wrongly they're using. Oh, God, if you gave that to me, if you gave me that wealth, if you gave me that position, if you made me the boss, I would do it totally different. And there's an anger towards 
that person. Or maybe there's an anger that you have towards God. Do you love them more than me? Can I just challenge you at that point, if that's what you're wrestling with, an anger towards God, you need some sanctuary time. Do you know what I'm saying? You need that stillness before God. And you need to get that very same revelation that God gave Asaph, in which he was felt oppressed until I entered your sanctuary. You need that time with God. You need that revelation from him. What might they be doing to stir up this anger? I mentioned a few things. Maybe, maybe they bested you on a test. Maybe this person that you're upset with bested you on the test. Maybe you kind of joke back and forth, and again, he bested you on the test. When I was in uh, high school, there was this one guy he, in, in my history class. He never studied for his history test. Never studied for his history test. He got hundreds on his test. I, however, history was not my best subject. I loved math, but history, somehow this other guy just knew what stuff to read, and he retained it. And I would study, and I would underline, and I would highlight, and I'd go back, and I would go over the dates, and I would go over the events, and I would think about it, and I would study for hours, and I would walk away with a B. Maybe on occasion I would get an A, woohoo! but he always bested me in those tests. And and, and I, I felt... That was because of insecurities that I had. Maybe someone that you're in rivalry with at work gets the promotion over you. Or maybe this person that you're envying, he's, he receives the praise of others far more than yourself. Can I, be, can I be really honest with you? There was a time when I was going through college and I loved studying the Word, and I always have. And there was a young man by the name of Jonathan. You remember Jonathan. Jonathan w- had known the Lord for only a few years, but he was a powerful resource of the knowledge of scriptures. And it made me feel intimidated. It was like, man, people would constantly praise him. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, where's my praise? You know, and, and, and just dealing with these young man insecurities. And I was envious of this guy. It, it's like his mind had this steel trap. And, but I, I'm constantly thinking, you know what, Jonathan, he's a young guy. Um, he's so full of pride. You know? and, and I would kind of belittle him in my mind. I never said that to him, but God heard me think it. And God had to really challenge me. And he said, Mike, do you want to get rid of this anger that you're feeling right now, then I'm going to encourage you, go out of your way to praise Jonathan. I was trying to be still before the Lord, and I'm sure I misheard him. God, check here. Did you just tell me that I'm supposed to praise him? God, that's going to give him an even bigger head. I can't do that. I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. That's what I said. There's no way this is God. I need you to praise him. I need you to praise him. 
And I tell you what, it was so hard. I looked for opportunities. At the end of the week, I remember just being with the Lord, and he said, Mike, you didn't praise him. And I said, God, I was looking for opportunities, and there was just no opportunity to praise him. And God began to show me there were tons of opportunities. You just didn't want to see them. And so the more I prayed, God began to open my eyes and I began to seize opportunities. And to be honest with you, it was awkward and it was forced. And Jonathan, that was really good. Uh, ex- excellent job. Um, you, you got a really good memory. And, and it was so hard for me to praise him because then I thought, well, if I praise him, then others are going to praise him all the more. And where and when do I get the praise? And of course, I wouldn't think that last thought because that's full of pride, and we can't think those thoughts. At least we try to think them so that God doesn't hear. Have you ever done that? <laughs> God, you know, get out of my head. I don't want you to listen to this thought. Wow, Lord, man, this is wrong. You know, and as if God's not hearing right now. And God had to set me free. And I thought I had, God had truly set me free from my insecurities and like Shrek, like a, you know, the onion, you got another layer pulled back that makes you cry. And God just had to pull that next layer back. And he's been doing that ever since in my life. I'm going to tell you, one of the antidotes, there's another one, but the first antidote, do you want to deal with that anger that's going on? That re- just refrain from anger. How do you do that? Ephesians 5, or, says get rid of anger, rage, malice. How do you do that? Praise him. Celebrate that person's successes. Celebrate them. Jonathan, that was an absolutely amazing Bible study. I really felt like I could learn from you. I was older than Jonathan. And if, if for me to say something like that, I mean, have you ever had your boss say something like that to you? That was excellent. I feel like I can learn something from you. When a, if you've ever had a boss tell you that, that, that is such a compliment. Wow, you could learn from me? And that builds them up. But here's good leaders are secure, and they love to praise the people that work for them, that are under them. Good leaders do. And so, Jonathan, I, I, I don't, I've not followed Jonathan on Facebook or followed him. I don't even have Facebook. And, but my prayer is, God, may you be blessing him. May he be the most humble man on the face of this earth, filled with the knowledge of your word, that when he speaks, people not only listen, but they're changed by that truth. That's my prayer. But God had to deal with that issue in my life back in college. And it was a hard one. The last thing that I want us to see is found in verses 21 and 22. In verse 21, it says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the generous, excuse me, the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, and those he curses will be cut off. Church, let's be generous. We looked at this verse last week, 26. It says, referring to the righteous, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. 
You see, when we can, <laughs> when we can give not only words of praise, but resources and actions, which is generosity, these two things, words and resources or actions, giving those things, those are antidotes to this envy and this striving in our soul. You see, giving offsets the mindset of envy, which is what? Getting, right? When we give to them, it's a pushback, if you will, to that sinful attitude of envy, which is getting. So we give, and that's our focus instead of getting. Number two, giving, being generous, is others-focused, and envy is self-focused. Generosity focuses on what I have so that I can give it instead of what I don't have and I need to get from you. That's envy. Generosity focuses, okay, God, what do I have? And now, how can I give it? That's what generosity does. And it flies in the face of envy. And lastly, generosity focuses on the needs of others and not our personal wants. You know, I mentioned earlier, leaders, if you're a mom and a dad, you're a leader. If you ever see somebody at work, you're a leader. If you're involved in ministry in this church to some degree, you're a leader. Leaders seek to bless others. They seek to be generous. They want to invest in others. Maybe you're discipling somebody. That's an investment. I'm going to encourage you, if you're discipling somebody, Pour into them what God has poured into you. The resources, the character, the, 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 the understanding of God's word. Not just knowledge, but understanding and wisdom, how you've walked it out. Pour that into them. Eventually, Solomon got it. Even though he had gone astray, he got the wisdom, finally. And he was not just worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom that if you would listen, this wisdom would train and discipline you and guide you in the paths of life. And God finally brought Solomon to that point. And, and the Bible never tells us exactly how God got him from that time of going astray to that time then of repentance and again pursuing the Lord. We just know when we read the Ecclesiastes, we step back and say, wow, God did something pretty amazing in his life. Solomon was full of wisdom and he wanted to give that wisdom, not to demonstrate how wise he was, but because he truly wanted to help. So can I ask you, what resources has God given you? What, what has God poured into your life? And maybe he has allowed so much pain to be poured into your life. And how have you responded? What has God taught you? You know what? There are so many people in the body of Christ and they are hurting in similar ways as you have. How can you minister to them? How can you take the truths of God's word that you have applied and now pour into them? That is being generous. Now, if especially you have envied somebody, this concept of generosity to them dilutes and is the antidote to that striving in your soul of envy. 
So here's my prayer. May God settle your heart. And may he share the truth of these two answers and these two antidotes to this thing called envy because envy leads us astray. It empties our tank. It robs from us. It does not fill us up. It makes us focus on what we don't have rather than the amazing resources and blessings that we do have in Christ. And when you arrive there at that place of, God, thank you for the richness and the abundance of everything that you have given me, and we purpose to set the rest of our life on this goal of pouring into others and being a blessing and setting our eyes on their needs rather than on what we think we need. When we do this, and it becomes a consuming passion to pursue Christ and his kingdom in this way, it transforms you, it empties you of this envy. And in verse 6, where he's when he says, commit your way to the Lord. Excuse me, verse 4, where he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There are things that beat in your heart and God has put those things in your heart. And I believe God wants to give you those things. But he's preparing you. He's preparing your circumstances. He may be saying yes, but not now. He may want to pour more character into your life, that you're a secure leader, that you are a secure person rooted in Christ's love for you. So church, let's, let's grab a hold of these things. Let's learn from David, King David. He's been there, done that. And may these truths be truths that set us free. Amen. Can you stand with me? Church, good. God is good, isn't he? Is he good, church? And God desires to pour out blessings into us. Let's right now prepare that heart, getting rid of this envy and all of this comparison. And let's just, let's just right now, in this quiet moment, thank him for all of these things that he has poured and all of these things that he has given to you. Father, we declare that truth. You are good. Your love endures forever. You have sacrificed so much for us. You have given such abundance to us. You are a good, good father. And you have lavished us with your grace. And this morning we are saying, thank you, God. Thank you for all of your goodness, all of your love, your faithfulness. Would you help me and heal me of my striving and my longings for those things that I see others have and have wondered, God, what about me? Where am I in all of this? Quiet those strivings in my soul, oh God. And as we are here in your presence, as we are still before you, would your spirit speak ever so quietly into our hearts? And would you set us free? we would be able to be used by you and your kingdom in ways beyond what we've even dreamed. Because this is the nature of the God we serve. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.